Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Melinda Wenner-Moyer is the author of How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes, Science-Based Strategies for Better Parenting from Tots to Teens. This was our conversation at The Strand the night of my launch of Zibby Books. So I was high on the success of that launch day, and I couldn't wait to talk to her and Christina Hillsberg about their amazing books. Melinda is an award-winning contributing editor at Scientific American, widely read parenting columnist at Slate, and a contributor to the New York Times' new standalone parenting section. How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes is her first book. I'm Zibby, for those of you watching, and why don't you guys introduce yourselves? I know. I'm Melinda. (laughs) <laughs> Hello, I'm in the Hudson Valley. So I'm like, what, 60 miles north of Zibby right now. And one of my children is asleep and one of them's awake and hopefully they won't interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hi, I'm Christina Hillsburg. I'm out in Seattle. So I've got a little bit more daylight <laughs> left here and the kids are playing outside, but they are with my husband. So I'm hoping no one makes an escape, but you know, to run in, you never know. Could keep things interesting. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm putting my money on you as the most coherent of the three of us since it's earlier and, <laughs> you know, oh, no pressure. No pressure. Yeah, exactly. I was actually thinking as I was listening to all of your backgrounds being read out loud, like it takes so much to be able to be a successful parent that listen to like the crazy bios that you guys have and how all of the focus is like, we just have to try to raise nice, normal kids. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, Christina, you can like do everything in the CIA and, and hunt down terrorists and do whatever else the CIA actually does. And yet it's, it takes all of that brain power to like get our children into the car on time. Crazy. Yes. <laughs> Someone just asked me in a podcast the other day, like, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? And I said, parenting. I mean, it's so, it's so humbling, especially like when you have one kid, when the first is like just a natural born rule follower, and then you're like feeling really awesome. Like you're this amazing parent. And then you have the next one who's like, you know, we'll say spirited. I think that's like the term that we all use. <laughs> And then you're like, oh, I'm actually not awesome. But I had an easier kid. It's humbling, you know? Yeah, the same breakdown with my kids. Exactly the same. Yeah. I did not start with an easy kid. So see, I'm I'm just better off, you know? It's good because then you get the hard done, you know? I started with twins, so it's not fair. Oh, Oh, wow. Yeah, no. (laughs) So then my third kid came around and I'm like, this is a piece of cake. Oh, sure. Yeah. Anything after that. Oh my gosh. So the question though, of course, which I think courses through both of your books and my mind all the time and basically every parent's mind is like, how do we not mess this up? How do we not, how do we just avoid messing up our kids? Right. That's basically, and that's like basically the title of your book. And that's what I think all the time, knowing that like our kids are born differently. Like just what you were saying, Christina, like some, I, I think the more kids I've had, the more I realize that it's like first do no harm right? If I just don't mess them up, they're just going to end up growing up into whoever they were born with their different personalities and all of that. So what have you guys taken away? And Melinda, I know you wrote a whole book about this. So (laughs) (laughs) so you must have strong feelings. And I'm actually very curious as to why this was so like on your mind that you wanted to write a whole book about it to begin with. Yeah. Well, it was because I kind of had like a crisis myself as a parent where I a lot of bad stuff I felt like was happening in the world a couple of years ago. Like people were just behaving badly all over the place. The Me Too movement had just come to light. And I was starting to really worry about what my kids were learning from all of this. Like, what were they hearing? What were they, you know, what were they seeing? What were their friends saying? And, you know, who were they going to become? And I was, as I was seeing like this behavior that I thought was atrocious in front of me, I really started to focus on, okay, you know what? Like the most important thing to me as a parent is that my kids grow up to be just good human beings. And I started talking with other parents and I realized like there was this feeling among a lot of parents, I think that like, you know, of course we all still worry about like, are our kids going to get into college and, you know, are, are they going to be happy and all these things that everybody always thinks about as a parent, but I felt like there was suddenly this like fear and this awareness and this like focus on, you know, what, what can we do to just raise like good people? And if we all do this, then we can like raise a generation of really good people. And that's when 
I started thinking about writing the book because I realized this could, you know, if there was enough insight that I could find from the science and I'm a science journalist, so I'm always looking at the research, then this could be really helpful. And it could actually like maybe change the world. And so I'm like, I mean, I realize that sounds really grandiose and horrible, but like narcissistic, but like, I wanted to do something good. And when I did dig into the research, I saw there was like all of this research that really hadn't been translated to a lay audience. And a lot of it was really surprising. And so that was when I was like, yeah, I, I need to do this. Like I need to, I want to write this book and I want, I wanted to learn from it myself. Like I wanted to learn how to become a better parent from the research. I don't think you can be accused of being a narcissist, of being a narcissist if you're trying to improve the world. So Yeah. What did you find? What, 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 what were some of the things that you were like, oh my gosh, the whole world needs to know this. And maybe if they did, we'd all be better off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, you were saying like the first thing that you think about is like, how do you not screw up and how do you not make mistakes? And I think like the first thing I feel that's really important to say is like, there is no such thing as a perfect parent or a perfect kid. And even like the parenting experts that I talked to, the like so-called parenting experts, all the child psychologists, they're like, we don't know what we're doing half the time. This is so hard for us too. And, and I honestly think making mistakes is a really important part of parenting. And it's actually really good for our kids when we screw up because it's an opportunity for us to, you know, take responsibility. Like when I yell at my kids, which I do sometimes, I don't, I'm not proud of it, but I do then, you know, that's a mistake. And I own up to it later. You know, I, I calm down and I say, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't handle that very well. Let's talk about what I could have done to calm myself down. Like I have them kind of problem solve with me. Like what could I have done better? I apologize. So I'm modeling, I'm modeling, apologizing and taking responsibility. So I, and, and like every time you kind of make a mistake and talking with your kids about something, then it's just like another reason to talk about it again and to keep bringing things up. So one of the big um, themes of my book is, and the fact that your daughter just called you means that you have this going really well, but like talk to your kids, make them feel like you are someone that they can come to with any kind of question about the world. And and like lean into the really tough topics too. like talk about sex and not just once and talk about pornography and talk about sexism and talk about racism. What the research shows is that like when we actually lean into these really awkward topics, the ones that we sometimes want to avoid because we want to like protect our kids innocence and we think, oh, they're not ready to learn this. They actually do much better when we take that chance and we talk about it and we, we don't have to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes, but just making that effort and opening those lines of communication and like letting our kids know it's okay for them to come to us with questions about anything. That is really like a really important groundwork for having a good relationship with your kids and for them to grow up, you know, with the values that you want them to have. Every time you talk with your kids, you're sharing your values, you're sharing your worldview in some way. And that's really, really, really constructive and helpful for kids. So that's, that's a big one. Yeah. I think that I love what you said about trust, Melinda, because that's like so important. And when we model that you know, apologizing and showing them that even we mess up, that's so helpful for them because, you know, we want to give that we want resilient kids. I think that's something, you know, we both talk a lot about in our books. It's, it's this goal that we have for our kids is raising resilient kids who are able to be out there in the world independent. And so when we have that trust with them and that relationship where they do feel like they can ask us any question, even the hard ones, then we can give them that autonomy, right? So that, then they can make those mistakes and we can offer that guidance along the way. And then we're continuing to build that trust because people ask us all the time, like if we spy on our kids because we were spies. So that must be (laughs) what we're like telling people how to do. And we're like, well, no, because we focus a lot on building trust with them and giving them autonomy. And because we're, you know, teaching them all these values along the way and these skills, we feel comfortable giving them a longer leash. Right. Interesting. 
you know, the thing is like the people who are going to raise kids who are really awful for the most part are going to be pretty awful themselves, aren't they? <laughs> I, I mean, I know that sounds like overly simplistic, but like, look, you, you two are like super nice women. Like you're not going to have, I mean, it's possible you have really awful kids, It's, but I bet you don't. <laughs> Well, and I think like parents, especially moms, we can be so hard on ourselves, like wanting to be perfect. Right. And like, you know, I remember, you know, in an interview the other day where this woman was like asking me for advice and that's also humbling too, because you're like, okay, well, it's not a silver bullet just because I've written a parenting book. I don't have it all figured out. Like every day is a struggle. Right. You know, and, and I'm telling this mom, like, listen, the fact that you're asking these questions and you're like seeking advice and you're even worried about this for your kid already tells me that you're an amazing mom and you're doing a wonderful job, right? Like if you didn't care, you didn't notice these things, like that's a whole other issue, you know, but I think we have this idea and a lot of it is, you know, thanks to social media and all of these wonderful curated images we see that we can scroll through at night when our kids are finally asleep and we're like in bed scrolling because nobody does that, right? Is it just me? You know, <laughs> you know, it's like we get this idea that we have to be the perfect parent and that just doesn't exist. I mean, it just doesn't. And we can, I think as women, we often shoulder a lot of that burden. And, you know, even after we do this research and write these books, we're still just, you know, doing the best we can. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're just lucky to have us really. We should, I had this one friend who was like, I had lunch with her a couple of years ago, but I'll like never forget it. It was probably like 10 years ago and she worked in Manhattan, but she lived outside of the city and we were having lunch and I'm like, what's new? And she's like, well, I've decided I'm not going to feel guilty about anything anymore. (laughs) And I was yeah. like, what do you mean? You know, and she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to feel guilty. I'm not going to feel guilty that I'm sitting here having a nice lunch. I'm not going to feel guilty. Like my kids are lucky to have me and I'm going to be back at the end of the day and I'm going to work really well at my job. And then I'm going to go home. And if they give me a hard time, like, oh, well, I'm not going to feel bad about it. And yeah. she's been so happy since then. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's fantastic. I feel right? like I need to take a class from her. I, I realized really earlier today, my babysitter showed up and she was not supposed to come today. She's supposed to come next Monday and she showed up and I, and I felt guilty. Like it was not my mistake. I, and I, I double checked and I was like, I did give you the right dates. And, and she said, yes, I'm sorry. I made it. And I felt so bad. Like I was like, I, I'm so sorry that you drove all the way here and I'm sending you back. And, and there's so much guilt that we shoulder. And I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what, if it was my husband and she'd shown up, he would have been like, it's the wrong day. And he wouldn't have felt guilty. Like there's yes. something about being a woman and we just shoulder other people's, you know, bad feelings and we take it on and we just feel 100%. like it's all our fault and it's not okay. Like I, I, I'm really amazed that your friend Zibi said that she's just not gonna feel guilty and that she's actually able to do it. Cause <laughs> I struggle with that a lot. Yeah. Well, I think most people do struggle and she seemed like she used to, I mean, she used to, but it's yeah. like so detrimental to mental health, really. Yeah. I mean, we're all so hard on ourselves. We can just use this as a therapy session. We can't see well, anybody it- else, so I'm just going to pretend. It's so nice to like have other mom friends to like talk to you about this because like, you know, I mean, obviously my husband is my best friend, <laughs> but like on the times where I'm like, well, like we've been mulling over this certain instance, this instance related to like birthday parties and our almost five-year-old and like planning out this thing. And I was feeling the mom guilt and, you know, and he, and he's like, well, it's fine. It just doesn't work. So just let it go. And I'm like, I know, but I feel bad about this other friend. And he's like, just let it go. We've moved on. We're done. And I'm like thinking, I'm just going to message a girlfriend about this. <laughs> 
so that I can continue to talk about it until I'm ready to move on. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Very key. You have to, yeah. <laughs> Things can't be too clear cut, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to stress and use our minds to second guess and all of that. I don't know. <laughs> but the thing that, you know, I've been, I was trying to say this recently about like weight loss, which maybe I've taken too far now that I have like completely stopped watching what I'm eating, but I've decided like, we only have so much room in our brains, right? Like if yeah, the mental it, space, the mental mm-hmm. space of maybe the guilt, maybe just worrying about how we're doing. And by the way, I don't mean to suggest that I don't worry. I, I second guess what I do all the time, but I prefer not to. <laughs> That's taking away space. We could be doing lots of other things. Like, we're all reasonably bright women, right? You know, like you're all like, look at how accomplished you are. What else could you be doing with your brain? No, I'm serious. I'm just saying like, like if we just even a, a smidge of it, mm-hmm. if we well, took it so off funny. and we said, we trust our kids, like they're going to be okay. Well, and it's just like the little things too. I'm like, ah, oh, should I get on the bike for like 30 minutes? Oh, I feel bad. I'll be ignoring the kids. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, this is 30 minutes, like 30 minutes out of their day. Like they'll be fine. And even if that means I'm giving them their tablets, they'll be fine because we yeah. also have to think about what we need for our own mental health, right? And like, what's going to help us be the best parent. And so for some people that's exercise, for some people that's, you know, going out and I did an ice skating class in the winter by myself, you know, I was playing <laughs> I'm on- I'm like, who um, is that? That sounds oddly specific. Yeah. <laughs> that was me. I was playing on, I don't know if anyone, if you guys have read Fair Play by Eve Rodsky, but she talks yeah. about you know, unicorn space and that's her next book. And so I really like leave into that this past winter. And I decided that I was going to find my like inner Nancy Kerrigan. And I went like once a week by myself and had an ice skating class and I was just carving out time for me. And, you know, it can be really therapeutic. A friend of mine has, has gotten really into pottery and she has a guest room that like no one has stayed in for like two years. She's like, I just really wish I had space. I'm like, don't you have that room? And within 24 hours, she had like moved the bed out. She told her husband, you know what? You have the whole basement for like your man cave. Like this is now my pottery room. <laughs> she cleared everything out. And like, she's making that space for her to have that time that she needs to recharge away from the kids and do what she needs to do to be creative and feel like her. And, you know, it helps her be a better parent. That's awesome. I think that's such a good point though. Like we cannot sacrifice everything for our kids because we will then be worse parents. Like we have to take time for ourselves and we have, we have to make, not take, (laughs) make and take, I guess, time for ourselves because otherwise, I mean, if we just don't exercise, we don't do the things that make us happy. We don't have hobbies. We will be miserable parents and our kids will learn, you know, not such good things from that. And, and, you know, we also need to model like taking care of ourselves for our kids, you know, that's also important. And for them to see that we do that and that they should also be thinking about that. So there's all sorts of reasons we need to do this. And I think like modeling hobbies too is so important because like, we really want our kids to be well-rounded. And like, that's something that we talk a lot about in Licensed to Parent, because this idea, it's this idea that the more well-rounded you are and the more interest you have as a person, the more capable you are of making connections with other people and building trust. Of course, this goes back to our time of like recruiting intelligence assets and trying to like build a connection, but it's so relevant in life. And so we want our kids to be well-rounded and have hobbies. But I realized like first after leaving CIA, I had this huge identity crisis. Like who was I if I didn't work at the CIA? And then I became a mom and a stay-at-home mom. And it was like, well, who am I without a career? You know, going through all these things and even realizing like well into my thirties, like, wait a minute, 
I have like zero hobbies. Like what's, how did this happen? Right. And then basically getting to the point where if I want my kids to be well-rounded, I also have to model that for them and showing them that, you know, one, I'm going to try things that maybe I'm not so great at. So then I'm modeling failure for them, but also showing them that like, no matter what age we are, you're never too old to try new things. And it's not about being a rock star or being a failure. Like sometimes we can fall somewhere, you know, completely in the middle and be mediocre. I never became, you know, this is a sport spoiler alert. I didn't become Nancy Kerrigan or <laughs> Yamaguchi. These are like some really big throwbacks for people who watched, you know, nineties figure skating. <laughs> I am following the references. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yep. so that never happened for me, but you know what? I enjoyed it. It's one thing, you know, one more thing that's like in my tool belt. And so it's all about kind of modeling that for our kids, but giving our kids these experiences to try new things without getting so caught up in them, like being a rock star and putting like the pressure on them to like be perfect and like be so fantastic at everything they do and like allowing them the space to just try new things and even fail. It's sort of like, you know, if you think about this is maybe this isn't going to make any sense, but like before you have kids, you're like running, 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 right? You're like on one of those things in the airport where you're like, you're going fast, right? And you're doing like a zillion things. And if your kids saw you, that would be like an accurate depiction of you. But then just because you have them, you like hop off the thing and sit on the floor and just like stare at them right? That's not who you are. And they'll probably just stare back at you and be like, get back on the thing because they're going to be the people who want to run too. I I know I'm being, this is probably not making any sense and I'm just like spouting off, but I'm tired and this is what's on my mind tonight. So sorry. (laughs) All to say, I feel like, you know, it's great to, for us all, like everybody needs the skills. Like that's why your books are so important, right? Because nobody really knows what they're doing. And we look to other people and other moms and friends, and we need that because we need the reassurance that like, we're not going to be messing up our kids and everything's going to be okay. And getting specific advice and facts rooted in science or strategies that have been time tested against people, hopefully far worse than our kids. You know, know, those are comforts, they're comforts. And it allows moms to sleep better at night and feel more empowered in what they're doing. But ultimately, you know, after you read the books and put them down, like you have to just like go back to being who you are. And chances are, since your kids are probably going to be somewhat like you, they won't have such a huge problem with it. In in the end, I think it's just this sort of empowerment that, I don't know, if we all felt like that, we'd be so much better off, but we just don't. And I don't either, but I I don't know. It would be nice. I think a lot of the reason is because we're living in this time of like so much helicopter parenting and like we've forgotten all of the things that our kids are actually very capable of if we would just give them the opportunity. But it's so hard because, you know, not only are we striving for our kids to reach perfection and get into this, you know, special preschool or college or whatever level they're at. We're also, you know, experiencing all of these new products on the market that are playing to this like anxiety that you may have, you know, and I talk a lot about, you know, I'm very transparent that I experienced postpartum anxiety with my son and I had always been a worrier and an anxious person, but it took on like a completely different meaning, you know, and I had heard people say things like, oh, you know, I used to do theater, but I can't do it anymore because of my anxiety. And I even like, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I would even like be like, okay, you know, it's also how I felt about (laughs) migraines before I ever had one. I'm like, oh, you had a headache you know, and then you experience something and you're like, wow, I feel like an asshole. Right. (laughs) And so I experienced like full on anxiety and, 
you know, you start clinging to all these products on the market that play to parents' anxiety, whether it's a sock that you're, you know, measuring their oxygen intake. So you're checking it multiple times throughout the night and you're not even resting, right? Or like a GPS tracker, which I did both of these things, by the way. And I think some of these things can be fantastic if people are able to get peace of mind from them, but they can also become something that we obsess over and it can do the opposite of giving us peace of mind, right? And so that's kind of the world that we're in now. Like not only is there like so much badness like Melinda was talking about and we're trying to raise kind kids, but we're also like surrounded by all of these things that just make us more anxious parents. And so it's like, I have to take a step back from those things and, and really like my husband helps me a lot because he's been parenting a lot longer than I have, you know, our oldest of my stepkids, you know, she's 18, almost 19. So when we had met, he had already been parenting for 10 years and he has a much more like easygoing personality than I do. And so if I do get spun up, it does help to have kind of more of that calming personality and someone who's kind of already been through, you know, he had already done the baby thing three times before me, you know, so he kind of let me experience things and to sort of let things float and let me find it my way. But, you know, I've realized that when we give them that space, you know, they can do more than we think they are really capable, but it can be easier said than done to kind of give that space, especially when it's, you know, serious anxiety that you need, you know, whether whatever kind of treatment that's appropriate, like it's, I don't mean to diminish, like, it's not like, oh, you just decide, you know, it can be a very difficult thing to overcome. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. I talk a lot in the book about the other way this anxiety or similar anxieties manifest and affect kids is through like the pressure we put on them to excel and like, you know, putting three-year-olds in Mandarin classes and ballet classes and, you know, soccer and all of these things that, that, you know, on some level we're doing it so that kids socialize and, you know, they're learning new skills and they're well-rounded. And I think that's, it's really good to a degree, but then sometimes it's like becomes this competitive sort of very scary culture where, you know, you think, oh my gosh, I need to sign my kid up for 18 things because how are they going to get into college? And, you know, what if they don't get into the private school that I'm dreaming that they go to in high school? And there's all sorts of, and and like, I mean, there are, there are parents who are hiring SAT tutors for like fourth graders, you know, (laughs) so there's all this stuff where our fear for our kids, like, will they succeed? Will they do okay in the world? We are then putting pressure on them to, you know, get good grades, to get the highest score on the SATs, to get the lead in the play, to make the travel soccer team. And what I found in the research, which, so I was really interested in like, what do we know about kids' self-esteem and what fosters healthy self-esteem? Because this felt very, very important for, you know, raising like happy, kind kids, et cetera, is that this pressure that parents put on kids actually really strongly impacts their self-esteem and in a very negative way, because they start to think, and we don't ever say this, of course, but they start to think that our love for them is contingent upon what they're doing, like what they achieve. Even if, you know, we never say like, I won't love you if you get a B, but they, they infer this from like how much we care about their grades and how much we care about what they achieve. And when kids feel that our love for them is conditional upon like what they do, it's really a big hit to their self-esteem and what they need more than anything else to have a healthy self-esteem ultimately is just to feel unconditional love. Like, I don't care what you do. Like you could screw up 8,000 times. You could get all F's, whatever. I will still love you. So that was a really interesting and a concerning thing that I uncovered from the research was just how powerful that pressure that's so well-meaning, like we are all scared and we all want the best for our kids. But when we pile it on, like, and we make them feel like you have to do this and this and this and this and this, it really makes them feel less than, and then they will ultimately struggle. So and I think we don't the, like that either, right? We don't like having people pile no. stuff, right? I mean, no, right. Well, I, I think know. in the same vein, you know, when parents are anxious, when we're anxious and we're trying to protect our kids because we don't want them to get hurt, we don't want them to be harmed and, you know, not just fail, but like actually become physically hurt. We're wanting to like keep them safe. But in that regard, we can sometimes send messages that we don't realize we're sending. Like, so for example, my son who's almost five, you know, he would always look to me before doing something. So if we were at the park and my husband was there too, and, you know, he would tell him like, oh, you know, go right around the track. And I thought it was too far. He would like immediately look to me to see what my facial expression was. And even if I said, okay, if he sensed any sort of hesitancy on my face, he would say, no, I don't want to do it. And it came to a head one day when he and I were at a, at the lake and there was a huge boulder that he wanted to climb. And I was so anxious. And I guess this is like a rite of passage for kids in the Northwest. I grew up like in cornfields in the Midwest and like, we were not climbing boulders there. And I have like a ridiculous fear of heights. Like I didn't climb the rope in gym class, like two feet off the ground. And I thought I was like all the way at the top, you know, that sort of thing. And he's wanting to climb this boulder. And I am so anxious. All I can do is like envision him like tumbling down. Like, I don't know how I'm going to go up and get him if I have to, like, because I'm so terrified. And I see the look in his eyes and he's like tearing up and he's like, mommy, I know I can do it. 
And I had this like turning point of like, oh my gosh, like all this time I've been anxious and I thought I was protecting him. And I'm actually like hurting his self-esteem and his confidence because he thinks I don't believe in him. Like he doesn't know that I'm trying to protect him. He thinks I don't believe in him. And I was like, so just like, oh no, I have to like fix some things. And so of course we, you know, came up with some strategies of what that looks like in our family. And maybe that means sometimes I don't go to some things like Ryan taught him how to ski last winter and I didn't go until he knew how. And so then I was there to watch him so he could show off his new skills. Like I knew that I wasn't comfortable being there while he was learning and that he was going to pick up on my anxiety. And so allowing him to go and have that time, which is hard because I'm, I'm fun. You know, I want to like go do fun things, but you know, I've had to just kind of delegate those things, you know, for dad so that I can come in once he's more confident and secure. And I know that he's not going to like ski into a tree. We have like, or like sharing a brain. I had to stop going to this one playground because I was taking my kid. I was like, (gasps) and and they're fine. And literally my kids too, they were like, you know, it's okay. It's like a two foot ladder. And I'm like, I don't like ladders. Like what the heck? (laughs) So I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to, I can't go to this playground because of my own stupid issues. Right. I'm worried. And I, but I feel like that's also okay to be like, okay, you know what? Like when you're a parent, take, take stock of your own stuff and everybody's got different stuff. And if you know, you're like a highly anxious person and that's going to rub off really badly. Like don't put yourself in like super anxiety provoking situations for you. Like let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They'll develop their anxiety disorders all on their own <laughs> without our help. But until age seven, they might actually be okay. So you might as well let them yeah. go. The goal is to raise kids who need like as little therapy as an adult because of us as possible, right? <laughs> Oh my God. Oh man. That's so funny. Cause I'm the same exact way. Like I can't go hiking. My husband loves to take them on these hikes that go down, you know, on these cliffs and like they're, you know, scrambling up rocks. And I'm like, I, I can't go on those hikes. Like I will. Yeah. yeah I'm the same exact way. I'm super anxious about heights and, and kids and, ah. but you know, these kids of ours who have moms like us, they're not going to end up being assholes. <laughs> <laughs> You you should really make your next book, how to raise kids who aren't like anxious messes, because my kids are, I mean, I shouldn't talk about, I mean, but like knowing myself, the assumption might, that was, it's probably a huge risk for them. Right. (laughs) Especially when you have a, you know, how to raise kids of parents who are really anxious themselves or like, I'm sure there are anxiety books. I'm joking, but, but not really. Cause <laughs> I need this book like, too. <laughs> like your qualities that you don't want, like rubbing off on your kids. And that's like always one that I think of like Ryan and I, we took the kids up this gondola ride at the ski resort, but not during ski seasons. This was several years ago. Gigi was like still a baby. I think I had her like in the ergo. Thank God. Because if she was walking, she would have like run off the mountaintop. I'm sure of it because <laughs> she's my spirited one. Um, but he did not tell me beforehand, like what this gondola was. And it was like all glass as I think a lot of them are, but it was very high off the ground. And like the whole time I was just thinking like, don't give your kids issues. Don't give them issues. And so I'm like, <laughs> like smiling and grinning through it. And like, there was a restaurant at the top and he like wanted to sit on these like Adirondack chairs, like on the edge of the mountain. you oh. guys. And oh I'm like, God. I'll be in the no. restaurant the whole time. And he's like, I think how I used to be like before I experienced anxiety, like he just doesn't get it. 
And he's like, okay, like, you know, I feel like if you haven't really, especially like after having babies as a woman, like postpartum anxiety, it's like, it's a thing that I, it can be hard, especially for a man to really understand what that is like. And yeah, so I won't go up the gondola again. It's a, <laughs> it's a no go for me. Yeah. I think it's good that we recognize though, that we have these tendencies and that we need to pull ourselves back instead of like controlling the situation, telling our kids, don't do this. Don't sit on that chair. You know, ah. instead we're like, I'm going to go sit over here and not look. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and, and it sounds like maybe our partners are also like a little less anxious than we are, which is really good. Yeah. <laughs> so they can That's take over those moments. Yeah. That, that is really the key. I feel yeah, like yeah. I want to go back and like, you know, talk to everybody in college or something like that and be like, this is who like, don't, don't go with that guy. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you are this type of person, no, right? It's not going to work out as well with that type of person. But like, no. for those of you who have anxiety enough to write entire books about how to basically manage your anxiety by giving ourselves the tools to like not be anxious parents, you know, a calm person in the house is probably not, not the worst thing. <laughs> yeah. For That's sure. So funny, the things that like we wish we could tell ourselves, like our oldest is our freshman right now in college. And it's like, you know, you send her off on her way and you're trying to like tell her things like, this is what I wish I would have done. Or like, you're trying to like give advice because you want your kids to like not make the same mistakes that you did. But then there's that element of like, okay, you just have to kind of like let them go and watch them. Even if they do make the same mistake, because you know, Sometimes you just have to learn it for yourself, but yeah, it's so, so wild to have one just out of the house. I just wrote this essay for my son. My son goes to boarding school and he's also, you know, he's 14 and he started like talking to girls and whatever. And I was like, I can't let this, how is he going to just, he's not going to figure it out on his own. Is he like, I have to like give him all these. I love that. I love that essay. It was so good. Oh, thank you. But you know, could I have let him figure out his way in the world? You know, and you know <laughs> what? He's probably going to come back to that, like at different stages of his life, because what you wrote is so relevant, no matter what age he's dating, which I think like what he gets out of it now is going to be totally different. What he gets out of it when he's in college. And then as an adult, like it's timeless. Yeah. Well, I have to say one mom friend, I know she read it and she was like, I read your essay and I started crying because of the part you, because part of what I said to my son is like, you know, treat women really nicely and, you know, ask them questions and don't assume all women are the same. And like, and then I said at the end, like, for God's sakes, like, don't forget her birthday. Right. Like, <laughs> and anyway, this friend of mine came to me and she was like, my husband just totally forgot my birthday. He like, <laughs> she's like, he went to like some guy's thing, something. He forgot it was even my birthday while he was gone. No, it's so sad. Anyway, I also should say, and as I've been talking about this, like it's not a foregone conclusion that because you're a nice person, you don't have kids who have some interpersonal issues. So I shouldn't be totally dismissive of that. You, there really are kids who are just struggle with emotions and do get into trouble and do have trouble, you know, being kind, even if they might deep down feel like that and do have behavioral issues. So I didn't mean to suggest that, you know, being a nice parent solves all. I just think that maybe for 80% of nice parents, you might be okay, but 20%, you might not be okay. That's my... (laughs) It makes you, it makes you question yourself as a parent, right? Like we had, so Ari started pre-K two weeks ago. And so I'm, I only have one kid at home now because my bigs are in school, in-person school, which is amazing. And so Ari's in-person pre-K. And so I have my three-year-old at home. And I was thinking like, we're going to have this like special one-on-one time. She's never had just me. This is going to be so great. 
and she was like a monster <laughs> the first two weeks. And I think so much of it was, I mean, this was a huge change transition. For her. Like he, you know, Ari has been a fixture of her entire life and all of a sudden he's gone and we're dropping him off. And I'm thinking like, oh, this is so fun. We're going to like bop around together. And she's just kind of like, just totally acting out. Like we had to leave this park because she's hitting me. And I'm just like, and then you start to think like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing wrong? You know? And I think that's just such a normal moment for so many parents to go through. And like, the answer is nothing. You're doing nothing wrong. Like it's, and I had this wonderful girlfriend say to me, you know, anytime that you, you know, catch yourself thinking, this is just how she is. She's always going to be like that correct yourself and say, this is just a phase. She is going through an adjustment. This is a huge adjustment for all of you. He's starting school, you know? And I just loved that advice because I was hesitant. Like I didn't want any advice. Like I just wanted to like vent to a friend. Right. I didn't want anyone saying like, this is what to do, but like, she's so fantastic. She has four kids of her own and, and she has kind of like some bigs and littles, but they're a little bit older than ours. And so she's like a really seasoned parent has been married for 20 years and like, so wise. And like, she just knew like the exact advice to give that was like, although unsolicited, but like, like so welcomed because she just said, this is a phase. Like, it's not you, you're not doing anything wrong. And I think that's really something that we need to learn so often as parents. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, I mean, we've been talking a lot about anxiety, so I'll just keep talking about anxiety, but like kids have a lot of anxiety and it does not manifest the way adult anxiety manifests. It can be seen as really challenging behavior. It can be seen as like inflexibility, you know, and like everything has to go a certain way or else you have meltdowns. My son has struggled with this a lot. Like anxiety can look so many different ways in kids and it can be really hard for parents to even to understand what's going on. And yeah, I mean, you're like, she was going through a huge transition with him gone and like, that's, or sorry, with your daughter. Yeah. yeah, With Ari gone. Yeah. Ari's my son. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Okay. That, yeah, that's like a huge, huge change. And it's, you know, it makes sense that that kind of transition can just elicit so yeah. much difficult behavior, but it's so hard to realize that and see that. It and it is, especially in the moment when you're like, absolutely. Ah, or like when you have like a really fun day planned for them and then you like do the whole, well, if you're acting like this, we're going to have to leave. And you're like secretly hoping like, please don't act like this because I want to yeah. stay. <laughs> and then they do act yeah. like that. And you're like, oh, now we have to leave because yeah. I have to like stick to my guns. But, you know, I stuck it out. We had several bad days where we didn't get to do the fun things. And and today we had a great day. She great started day. her little ballet class and she felt like she had something for her. And like, we did a special park date, a special lunch date. And like, she was like a different kid. And I was like, okay. Mm. Yes. I mean, it takes, it takes all of us time. I mean, September is hard. Oh. I feel like it's always such a transition. Like, yes. I don't know. It's very emotional. September's are always super emotional for so many reasons. And mm-hmm. I don't know, why are we going to, I don't know. I, my son who he's in first grade and he had a birthday party and he really didn't want to go. And I was like, do I force him to go? Do I not force him to go? Somehow I was like, let's just go for like 20 minutes or half an hour. Let's just at least like put it in appearance, so to speak. Not that you're supposed to do that for kids where they wait. Anyway, so we like go there and he stops, like won't move a foot, like maybe six feet away from the party. He's like, no, like he doesn't want to go. Yeah. So we were like standing there and some people were coming and he's like, no, I don't want to. No, no thanks. I'll see them in school. And I was like, okay. And I stood there for a few minutes and I was like, let's just go. And I was like, I could be, and I was walking out of the park with him and he's like, can I get a pretzel? And I was like, yeah, you know what? Let's just go get pretzels together and hang out. And then I was thinking to myself, like I said to him, I was like, I think other moms would probably have said, 
if you sit and watch the magic show, then we can go get a pretzel. I was like, but I'm not that kind of mom. So I hope I'm not messing you up. And he was like, no. good. I don't want you to be that type of mom. He's like, I'll go talk to those kids in school, but I don't want to do it in this big group. And I was like, I wouldn't want to do it in this big group either. So that I don't is, know. Sometimes we have to listen to the kids. Yeah. yeah and that is that. so mature of him like to be able to understand that that's what, that's what he wanted. Like, this is making me anxious. I don't want to go have to be at this party and interact with these kids. Like, so many young kids, first grade, my gosh, like would just be having meltdowns, but not be able to communicate that. Totally. He, the fact that he communicated that is really something. And I'm, I think it's great that you listened and you said, you know what, like, I understand let's do something else. And you kind of let him, you know, having recognized how he feels and what he wants, like to say, you know what, I'm going to listen to you. This I, I think that's wonderful. Of him being my fourth child. <laughs> <laughs> If this Doing great. were my first child, I would yeah. handle it very differently. I and, understand. Um, you know, but now I have the confidence to be like, what? I, I don't know. Anyway, and I think that's part of just, you know, that both of your bugs sort of like touch on, right? It's like learning the tools that make you the best parent you can be. And if that's time or if it's tactics or science or whatever, like arming yourself with the tools that you need is how you're going to get through this whole crazy period of time. Well, and what I like to say is when it comes to parenting books, especially because there are so many and you can quickly become, you know, talking about anxiety, you can become like overwhelmed with all of the advice and feeling like you're doing everything wrong. I like to say, take what works and leave the rest. Like it's unlikely that you're going to pick up a parenting book and like every single thing that it says, right? Because every family is different. Every child is different. You're going to have to find what level, you know, feels appropriate, what level of autonomy, what, you know, all of these different things. And, and so I I like to tell people, you know, just take the things that you like. And if you don't like them, you know, I feel like I used to have this mindset of if I read a parenting book, I'd have to like be fully on board with everything that it said. And that's just not true because every family has its own dynamics. I think one of the most important things in choosing a parenting book is really liking the parent who's writing the book. Well, that <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Like, you guys are very I hope we're doing a good yeah, job. I mean, like, and yeah, exactly yeah. likable. <laughs> You're so funny in your book about like your dating. I mean, yeah, you want to ha- get advice from somebody who you would want to be like sitting next to in the playground. Oh my and God. if the person is like this didactic person that you wouldn't really want to talk to, maybe their advice is not so relevant. Well, this was so much fun. Thanks, ladies. I'm sorry I was a little loopy tonight. I hope it was okay just talking to you as if we've known each other forever here. But, you know, if anybody's feeling anxious and wants to keep this conversation going, (laughs) not the people I don't even know. I love it. Well, you've had a long day. And will you share news? I don't think it was a part of the intro. I know. I probably should have said something. Yes, I'm starting. I started a publishing company called Sibby Books. Yay! Congratulations. It's awesome. awesome. Uh, Yeah. 12 books a year, memoir and fiction, kind of like book club ish. And I'm going to change up all these different things and I'm really excited. I love it. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm excited. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks ladies. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of moms don't have time to read books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.